HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Lou Bank. And I'm Chris Maxwell. <laughs> and this is Agave Road Trip, <laughs> the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps Gring Gex bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. So, Chris, thank you so much for coming on this episode, because I have such a specific thing I want to talk to you about and with you about. And um, there are only a handful of people who I imagine have the background that we could have this conversation. And, and, and I'm not one of them. So, back in May... Of 2021, Chava and I recorded an episode that was titled The Birth and Death of the CRM. That would be, the, of course, the body that at the time was the sole body uh, that could certify Mezcal. So Alberto Esteban Marino, the former director general of the Gnomes for the Mexican government, he provided us with court papers that documented the end of the CRM's monopoly on certifying Mezcal. And then just recently, Chris, Alberto comes back to me and he's got two court decisions documenting the end of the CRT's monopoly on certifying tequila. (laughs) Well, now you've just demonstrated a bias, haven't you? Haven't you, Chris? No, I mean, monopolies are awesome. Monopolies are great. Yeah, if you got nothing to do on a Sunday. So, my question to you. My question to you, Chris, is what does this mean? I don't know. It, it, there's there's a lot of interesting aspects of what can happen within this because, you know, the CRT has typically been controlled by a handful of uh, producers who have been controlling the tequila industry for an extremely long period of time. And it's going to throw some chaos in, into the situation. And, uh um, you know, it may uh, allow for some uh, other interesting aspects and and uh, um, especially within the norma um, as to how things are going to go down. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see what unfolds. 
Yeah. So, so Alberto's representing this group called, and I'm going to butcher this, and that's not going to surprise you, Certificación Mexicana, right? And so they've, they've already been cleared as an inspecting body for years, right? But now they're seeking authority to certify as well. And, you know, and the GNOME actually allows for that, but the CRT has been arguing that this is meant to be interpreted as other bodies can certify, but certify tequila, but only when the CRT no longer exists. That's been their uh, argument in the first two cases, and they lost both of the first two cases. And I'm going to for the uh, the the uh, website the web page for this episode I'm going to put those documents online they're in Spanish um but you know hey if you've got access to this thing called Google Translate you should have no problem uh breaking them into English or whatever language you speak awesome yeah that'll be a good read yeah, yeah absolutely pour yourself something tasty do a oh, little education yeah there you go i like that so you know my great hope Right. Is that the uh, the result of this is that it's easier for people in the other five states in which you can. And, you know, it's communities within the five states, but in those other I'm sorry, the four states uh, where you can make tequila, that they'll have an easier time certifying. And maybe maybe this helps to um, to mitigate this burgeoning monoculture of Blue Weber uh, in Jalisco. That's one thing I hope comes out of this. Well, I can I can tell you right now that none of the producers have any interest in in uh, <laughs> um, changing up how they're approaching the uh, the agave. Um, it, it is not in any of their interests. Um, you know, as long as they're getting sugar content, um, and uh, oh. you know. The more oh. traditional producers are having access to mature and sometimes ripe agave, cool. But when it comes down to probably like seventy-five percent of the agave that's being used in the industry, they no. do not care. Seventy-five percent? God, I would have actually. It's funny. I, I, I was about to. I was about to flag you. I thought you know I should. I should let you finish what you were saying. I was going to flag you as being cynical, but I would actually say ninety-five percent of the agave being used, they don't care. Um, but you know, but I think that's also <laughs> right. But you know, I also look at what what did tequila look like fifteen years ago, right before. Wait, what year is this? Yeah, before um, mezcal started really taking its place in the world of agave spirits and trying to find any tequila producer back in, let's say, 2008, find any tequila producer who was doing things, even elements of things in a relatively pre-industrial manner. That would have been tough, wouldn't it? Well, no, I mean, pre-industrial, are we talking pre-industrial of like 1895 or are we talking pre-industrial of 1955, right? So are we talking about like, okay, the the use of steam, is that industrialization of the tequila industry or is, the, in, or, or is the, you know, inclusion of cooking with steam in a stainless steel oven, the industrialization, Right? Are we talking about using uh, roller mills versus a Tahona as industrialization, even though roller mills have been around for hundreds of years? 
Yeah. Right. So we have, those conversations are, are deep. And if we're talking about like what was really happening at that point in time, because I was already touring tequila distilleries throughout Jalisco in 2000, my first time in 2007, 2000, you know, 2008, I can tell you right off the board, you know, there were three distilleries that were using the Tahona on a consistent basis. Actually, technically at that point in time, there was four. Um, so, 100% of everything that was coming out of La Fortaleza was Tahona, you know, mm-hmm. small, extremely small batch. I think, you know, at that point in time, Guillermo was producing probably four to eight weeks a year. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, La Otena, uh had a Tahona and um, actually didn't even have electricity in their distillery until <laughs> 2000, until 99 or 2001. And that's when they got their first roller mill. And uh-huh. then, uh, of course, there's Sieta Leguas, whose original distillery was, um, uh, you know, everything's uh, Tahona-based. And um, then their second distillery is, is roller mill. And then you have uh, Pernod Ricard, <laughs> Um, who has a, a Tahona that they were using to produce uh, Tezon at that point in time. That okay. was 100%. But, yeah. but, but when I'm looking at uh, the trajectory of where tequila is headed, like one of those guys that you mentioned again, like I don't know a lot about tequila, right? But uh, the, the second guy you mentioned, La Altena, was that it? Yeah, the, yep. the, Carlos Camarena. Yeah, okay, yeah. So they, they had added electricity um, as sort of a means, I'm guessing, to ramp up production. And when I look at what's happened recently, like my head, and, and, and again, again and again and again and again, tequila is not my world, but I, I look at uh, at the Rosales family at Cascaween and how as a result of their connections to uh, David Suro, suddenly they're cooking agave underground in a stone-lined earthen oven, they're milling it by hand, they're fermenting open air in wooden barrels, they're distilling in wood fires. I think it's wood fire stills. Wouldn't swear to that. Um, but but no, doing things... Sorry, go ahead. It's steam stilled or steam heated stills. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but but other than that, I mean, you're literally using technology that goes back to uh, to certainly uh, uh, before the 1893 World's Fair, and and so what's my point? My point is, I think the growth of mezcal as an expression has sort of shown some tequila producers, hey, wait. There's a market for this other thing that's more traditional. And I'm wondering if maybe, you know, the thing I love about corporations, Chris, is they just want our money. And if we show them a way to, 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 that, that we will give them our money, they'll find a way to produce that thing. And my great hope is maybe through these alternative certification processes, somebody, somebody realizes – you know, so okay, so I just had a, a call this week with a friend of mine. I'm not going to name names because I don't know that he wants me to, but he was saying that there are a couple of uh, tequila producers in Jalisco um, who have been growing agave from seed, and it's as as he put it. Um, it is angering the CRT because they look at the Blue Weber that's coming from these germinated seeds and it doesn't look like what they think it is. And they're forcing them to take all this genetic testing, 
right? So let's apply that to a a future, and I think the future is literally just a few weeks away, where we have two certification, two certifying bodies. And I think I think pretty soon after that, if I'm understanding my other friends correctly, there will be a third certifying body. And you know, if these certifying bodies don't have the same issues that the CRT has in that, well, I look at this and it doesn't look like Blue Weber, suddenly makes it a lot easier to create a product that is from seed. And and as we're, we're talking about something that I think is as unnecessary as um, uh, tequila that's additive-free, when I think about what's really going to have an impact, it's tequila from plants that aren't homogenous genetically, like that to me is a whole nother kind of marketing campaign that I think yeah. would give somebody in some other state a reason to to do something different. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm 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 definitely, you know, been looking forward for that type of thing. I was reading Annabelle as well as book uh that she co authored with Gary Newman, not Newman, um <laughs> Nobhan. Nobhan. Um you know, that goes into that. And that book was written in like the late eight, uh, late nineties. And, yeah. um, it talked about the importance of that. And like, that was one of the first books that I delved into. And that was a conversation that I was bringing up before David Suro made it, uh, uh an important conversation piece. And yes, I think it's going to be awesome if, if there are going to be some of the, these other, uh, certifiers who are going to be like, willing to work with somebody who is making, you know, let's, let's say like a thousand liters a month, right? Mm -hmm. 250 mm -hmm. liters a week to be able right. to do some of this, you know, very traditional production. Um, yep. because typically the tequila industry, it's, it's big money. It, <laughs> it takes, a, it, it, it takes as, as, as Guillermo Salsa has found out, it takes a lot of money to be able to, you know, to, to do this and you know to have your own distillery you know and to be able to do everything to have the employees it takes a lot of money it takes even a lot of money to like bring a brand to market and to right. be able to market it properly right so and compete not... against these corporations with billions and millions of dollars sure yep yeah um but i also know that you know in paying the crt every month it's it's uh it's still uh, a pretty penny um, and if you are not in production, you still have to certify the CRT. You have to still have to pay the CRT every month for them to come by. Um, and I believe that for you to retain your CRT status, you have to produce a minimum of 600 liters a year. A minimum so, of 600 liters a year? To, oh, that's not so, so like bad. if you're not so if if you're not in that's 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 I mean like when we're used to like some of these mezcal producers who are doing fifty liters a week yeah like six hundred liters is is tiny yeah, yeah but yeah, yeah. um yeah it's 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 something small like that so basically like a really quick run you know but you still have to have them come by and like look every month just to make sure that you're actually not in production. So you have to pay them for that. Yeah. Then you have to pay them, you know, then there's a tax upon how many liters you're actually producing. So yeah, it's expensive for sure. Yeah. And if somebody yeah. can come by and make it not expensive, cool. I'm yeah. down. You and, and I can have our own brand, Chris, the, yeah. the dream we've always had. Okay. I've never had no. that dream. Have you had that dream? I, no. I had that dream. No. I will never. 
No, I know too much. I don't even really want my own podcast. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things, one of the things too bad, that... so sad. <laughs> <laughs> too late now. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that comes to mind, and I, I think I even said this in the episode uh, when we were talking about uh, the other body certifying mezcal, one of the things that comes to my mind and that concerns me is while I'm not a fan of monopolies and I'm, I'm not a fan of uh, the way that they can control um, the people who are forced to come to them, I also recognize that you've got this, this written document, the gnome, that defines what tequila is, right? And... And then you've got this one body that interprets it, which, you know, if you if you apply that to the way that governments work, then I guess like that makes the CRT the Supreme Court. And yep. suddenly you you open this up to all these other bodies to interpret that single document, and there's no one body over all of it. I you know, I, I, I'm concerned that there might be some different interpretations that makes tequila more confusing to the average consumer. Um, it could. Um, I think that the aspect of like tequila, 100% agave has dumbed down the entire conversation for most. <laughs> has it though? It, it has. It really has. Um, especially when you say dumbed it down, you you mean took takes out the nuance that uh, yeah. What do you mean? Like yeah. you know, okay, it's it's hundred percent agave, it's tequila, it's in a fancy bottle, and uh, you know, you know, celebrity Joe Schmo is you know pimping his juice. Nobody cares about the quality of it. It looks pretty. You know, it's got a famous name behind it. Nobody's really cared about cares about the contents inside it, how it's being sourced, you know, or anything like that, right? And I think that's why I'm saying it's been dumbed down to like tequila, 100% agave. Okay, cool. Then I can drink it and not get a hangover. That's all, you know, people are thinking <laughs> about these days. Well, sorry, you're still gonna get the hangover. You're drinking. Oh, but yeah, I hear what I hear what you're saying. Yeah, but you know, but I so I put um, I put this question to Alberto. Let me just uh, I'm gonna run his uh, response. Okay. La diferencia de criterios se puede presentar. The difference in interpretation can occur not only between two certification bodies, but also between inspectors inside one of the certification bodies. So the issue with having different interpretations as a result of different certification bodies is false. The truth is that in order to deal with different interpreters, the authority, who is the general directorate of standards, has protocols to ensure sure that the two certification mechanisms guarantee compliance with the standard. There may be different ways of checking compliance, but in both cases, there must be assurance of compliance. A very clear example is the way to prove that a plantation is within the zone of the denomination of origin is through satellite geolocation with a cell phone. One certifier could say, 
I stood at this point so many degrees latitude north, south, etc., and took a reference photo and can see that this is within the correct zone. The other could say that their way is not with a phone, but with a military-grade GPS. They both lead you to the same result, that the plantation is inside the denomination of origin, though they use different devices. One may say, hey, I did a physical inspection, and the other says, I took pictures with a drone. These are two ways of making sure that there was a plantation, and that's where the agave came from. In other words, there are two ways of doing the same thing, but both cases lead to the same result, to make sure that you are enforcing the regulations. So the authority, which is the general directed of standards, has to make sure that they demonstrate that they are complying with the standard, even if it is using different tools. So, you know, so that's okay. So that's Alberto's interpretation and I get it. And I, I, I still don't know that I buy into that. Um, uh, but I also recognize that to me, at least the biggest issue here is can we find, can this be a way, can this be a path away from the monoculture issues uh, and the genetic homogeneity issues homogeneous, I don't even know what word that is, but homogenous. the homogeneous genetics issues that uh, that Jalisco is facing right now. And if it is, hey, I'm all in support of this. Yeah, I, I think not. that can't happen until, you know, people such as, you know, Carlos and Felipe Camarena and Guillermo Salza and um, uh, um, Chava um, uh, and Rosales, uh, Rosales and um, uh, um, Juan Fernando Gonzalez over at Sitzleguas and anybody else who's going to be in that conversation can actually hit the eject button themselves and form a more traditional artisanal group and, you know, live up to the norma from 1949. And, um, oh. you know, uh, Hang on a second. You're like you're, this is fascinating to me. So the Norma from 1949. Obviously, there are a bunch of differences, but how does it, um, sp or does it? I guess specifically relate to uh, the monoculture issue. Well, in the Norma from 1949, allowed for <clears throat> tequila to be uh, produced from any agave that was cultivated in the state of Jalisco. Uh, in 49. 1949. Yep. Um, there was there was an emphasis on using the what we know as the the Teclano Web Azul. They they did give it a different name from that, um, hmm. but uh, um, they were using multiple different agaves. And I've seen even pictures from the Salsa Distillery in the early '60s where there were other agaves being used. And um, you know, so it was definitely a thing, um, definitely, you know, during that time period. Um, and, you know, the other aspect is how much deforestation that had happened um, in Jalisco uh, since 1949, which is, you know, kind of sad to, to acknowledge. But, um, yeah, so there were multiple agaves that were being used, and 
you know, even during that time period, they rec- recognized that, you know, if you took the Iwelo from the Blue Agave, mm-hmm. you were able to cultivate it and harvest it faster than any other agave had a higher sugar content it's got a lower fat content and uh which makes it easier to distill with um and uh and the actual harvesting of the agave is faster than others so at the end of the day when the tequila industry is a business and every business is trying to get from point a to point b as fast as possible with the highest uh, profit margin as possible they recognize that this agave using the huelos and not going from seed was going to allow them to do that so uh no one in the tequila industry has uh i shouldn't say no one the majority of producers and agaveros in the tequila industry have zero interest in going from seed especially an agavero who's going to sit there and be like oh you want me to wait 12 years now to go through two cycles of a boom and a bust when i could be planting this seed now and the you know uh uh the agave is is getting let's just say 10 pesos a kilo and five years from now it's going to get 30 pesos a kilo and like that agave is going to be far from being ready to be harvested. And then by the time it's ready to be mature and ready for harvest, it's back down to three pesos. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hear that, but it's, it's, it's from a business standpoint, it's going to be really super hard to get the agaveros who control most of the uh, agave used in the tequila industry to go from seed. Yeah, no, no, no. I totally get that. And I I, I agree. It's always, the, the, well, I shouldn't the, say always. The but. one thing that I would love to see, though, that could get everybody yeah. on board on this entire thing is yeah. once, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is a side topic, but I think it's kind of important to kind of throw the idea out there. I know that cannabis is legal. So what if we intercrop? What? So, yeah, I believe cannabis is legal in Mexico. What if we oh, intercrop? In okay, yeah. I, 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 what if we intercrop with cannabis? So, so you, 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 because, you, you spread the agave uh, out because yeah. right now the agave are planted closer and closer together. Okay. Spread them out, yeah. out apart. And then in between the rows, you've got rows of cannabis. So you're going to be putting other nutrients back into the soil content. It's going to also yeah. infuse a little bit, a little bit more of an herbaceous character into the distillate. <laughs> And you're going to receive the two most expensive crops available, and you are just making money on a consistent basis. Well, I, I love that idea for so many reasons. I love that idea, if for nothing else, because I know the Dark Matter Coffee guys will go down to Jalisco with me then. But, <laughs> you know, I think that there's something... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, they're fun guys. But, I, you know, I think there's also something to be said for if, if we were having this conversation 40 years ago, uh, we would have said the same thing about organics. Nobody's going to pay extra for organics. And I think I think the way that markets move is consumers make demands and eventually somebody fulfills that demand. And then more of these companies move toward that model because they see that they're they're there can be a premium charged. And my great hope is 
that's what we see. I mean, right now we've got a, a bottled, I think the most, I think in general, I mean, you can correct me on this, but I think one, at least one of, if not the most expensive standard bottle of tequila in the marketplace is made by a diffuser and the additives are added mm-hmm. to it. And they charge a couple hundred dollars a bottle based on this beautiful bottle and the beautiful packaging. But you back it up and then you see this other movement uh, about uh, buying tequila that's not, that does not have additives. And I think that shows that you can, you can sort of, you can have two completely deferring markets at once building in completely different directions yeah. and i'm not saying that we'll ever shut down all of the uh, the the monoculture issues in tequila but i am saying if we can just supplement it yeah. with some biodiversity oh yeah abs- absolutely yeah. trust me i'm 100 down um you know then but the hard part is to be able to confirm that this agave in this bottle came from seed that's going to be the hard part. Until we can get everybody on board to do that, like it's going to be a hard, it's going to be hard. And just like you know, a couple of years ago, everybody's like, "Oh yeah, we use mature agave." And like, dude, like so few of you are using mature right. agave, and and I can taste it on my palate. Yeah, yeah. Well, we just have to get Grover and Scarlet on the case. You know, I, it's funny. I, I find most uh, certifying bodies to be corruptible, but Grover and Scarlet sure don't seem oh, yeah. to be. God yep. bless them. Yeah. Okay. Well, is there anything else you want well, to add to this conversation? Yeah, yeah. So, or should so we, I, I, you know, as yeah. we were kind of chatting a little bit previously, um, you had said that uh, Cuervo, who owns a couple of mezcal brands, right, that uh, they um, use one of the mezcal certifiers um, who's based in Michoacan to um, certify the mezcal that they are bottling in Guadalajara and so within that because I know that the CRT tried to slap them with fines for having distillates at their distilleries that they're not supposed to have and doing other sorts of things that they got they got into a uh you know their their panties got all bunched up and and they 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 threatened they actually threatened to leave the 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 uh, the CRT and um, so oh wait wait whose panties are we talking about are we talking Cuervo. Jose Cuervos or the CRT's yes. panties Cuervos Cuervos both Cuervos okay Cuervos I think I have a pair of Cuervo panties anyway keep going <laughs> nice yeah nice yeah. Are, are are they black with gold and and <laughs> you know, sequins and yeah lace you betcha. Nice. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if if uh, they were the ones that were actually pushing to to do this, even though th- they pretty much control the CRT. Um, you know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. you know with uh, you know Donald Trump. Like you know, if anybody talks bad about them, they're like the worst people ever, right? So um, with, with you know, it's like do not do not work against me. So Cuervo's like finding that the CRT is working against them, even though they're doing stuff they're not supposed to be doing. So they're like, okay, fine, you know. Uh, you know, we're going to take our ball and go home. And so, you know, then then they're like, oh, well, like we know we understand how this is supposed to work. And what if we got you who's certifying our mezcal to certify tequila, too? Then we can have like all control over everything and we don't need the CRT. So I could definitely see where 
it's being instigated uh, by Cuervo, especially since they have the financial funds to be able to do this type of thing. So that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they are Darth Vader of the tequila industry, even though Darth Vader is a pretty badass motherfucker. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, they, they are the evil of the, in the industry, the evil empire. Didn't he just lose his way? Couldn't he have potentially been good? Wasn't there a story at the end where he became the hero? I think so. I don't know. I don't watch that Star Wars stuff. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, I guess I guess what it all comes down to is, A, we have to see, like, does this actually happen? And I think we're a week or two away from the, the final judgment from the Ninth District Court in Mexico City. Um and then how it plays out. Yeah. But you know, I I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Yeah, so am I. I, I think this will be an interesting conversation and uh, interesting storyline to the entire tequila industry. I don't think anybody but a few of us, like, deep geeks are going to, like, really care, but it, I think it'll be interesting. Right on. For sure. Well, thank you very much for joining me on this episode, Chris, and I'll catch you next time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps Gring X bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. We're blessed with sound engineering by Roy Sierra and a theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Marco Ricos. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, well, I'm sure you'll let us know that too. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Agave Road Trip. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pit Bulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization using the power of education educational storytelling about food to build a more equitable, resilient food system. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you hear on Heritage Radio Network might lead you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If you drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Drive responsibly. Eat responsibly, too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly to listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive. Do not walk either. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to stretch every 30 minutes. If you stretch every 30 minutes, please stay within your defined stretching capacity. And consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you don't have a doctor, maybe Dr. Ryan Acock, the cocktail MD, can help you out. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip. Out.